today is a really exciting episode of the podcast because I have a guest on that I have dreamed of interviewing for years. If you are not familiar with Rob Bell, you are about to fall in love. I don't want to overstate this, but seriously, he is one of my absolute favorite teachers. He's an incredible writer, philosopher, just like wise, amazing. I feel so freaking blessed that I got to sit down with him in conversation and we talked about everything. Literally everything. So listen into today's podcast episode. And if you enjoy the convo, please take a screenshot of this episode, tag me, tag Rob on social, and let us know what you think. Hope y'all are having a fantastic day. And I hope that this insight blesses you as much as it blessed me. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. How are you? How's 2020 going? I've been in my house with the five of us and the dog for a half a year. Yeah. Right? So I'm curious. So the new book for you came out, what what day did it come out? A couple weeks ago, September 15th. Okay. And is that something that you worked on at all inside of this year or that was finished before, before we ever hit quarantine? Yeah, this was finished before quarantine so um i assume with you like so i would be in a hotel somewhere right today absolutely and airplanes and rental cars and theaters and clubs but i have been in my front yard for six (laughs) months because there's no room in the house because everybody's home so we're just everybody's improving and this is i think what's so fascinating is how many people the tendency to should on yourself I should be more creative. I should have more energy. I should be getting more things done. And I always just ask the person compared to the other global pandemics. Exactly. It's so, it is so real. Like so many people are upset because they feel like exactly like you said, they should have accomplished all these tasks as if any of us know how to handle this. Right. Right. This is all unprecedented. So relax. Yeah. This is your first one. You can improv all over the place. (laughs) <laughs> and how has it felt to, like, are you appreciating that you're not on the road? Or are you kind of missing being out with people? I love the live event. Mm-hmm. That sound in the room before you go on, you get butterflies. Do you get butterflies? Absolutely. And you're like, what the, f- what? I choose this? <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing... I'd rather be doing. So that is, I do miss that. But 
in light of, I mean, a rising death toll, those sorts of things seem, it's like you're constantly calibrating how you're feeling with the thing in the air and respect for what's happening. Um, and then like with my family and the, and being in the house like this, there's a form of, it's a form of madness. And then there's also these moments that are like, this is magic. Yeah. And we wouldn't be having this experience if we didn't, we weren't going through this. I feel like, you know, I've been talking with my girlfriends a lot about this this year, that it feels like there is, and I don't say this disrespectfully, but it, there, there is a pain in kind of the burning down of things. Like many yeah. things have been burned down, but they were things that needed to be burned. And there's something in this process of like, it is so painful. It is so hard to go through and it is also so necessary for whatever comes next. And I feel like that fever pitch just continues to build as we get closer and closer to November. But then so many people that I know are just drowning in the anxiety of yeah. what the world feels like. Like you said, they can feel this thing in the air and they're consuming social and they're sort of living inside of this space. How are you talking to your community about how to exist right now? I know that's a very lofty yeah, question. No, right. right, right, right. Well, so let's start with the word. There's a word that like the looting a couple of months ago came within like eight houses of our house. So, and like just wrecked the street, like right there, just destroyed the stores. Um, and so everything's boarded up now out on this main street in the middle of LA here where we live. And the word that people use when they drive down the street is apocalyptic. And people are talking, this feels like an apocalypse. But what's fascinating is the word apocalypse in its ancient meaning means to reveal or to disclose. Mm. So an apocalypse for many people is this feels apocalyptic, like it's an end. But a true apocalypse isn't an end. It's a revealing of what is. So if like our, our government structures, our education structures, an economic structure where more like a smaller group of people have all the wealth, like this isn't working. It's not serving everybody well. And the only way to get to a new creation is you have to like have the revelation and the exposure. Absolutely. So it, like you said, it's so unbelievably painful my wife, Kristen, and I talk about apocalyptic hope, like just rip off all the masks. For, for years, we've had a political party in America that's been against getting more people registered to vote because it doesn't go well for them if more people vote in an election. But now they're being honest about it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it like shocks you and it wrecks you and you're like so angry. But, it, but my son calls it the great unmasking. Let's just take all the masks. We might as well. Because um, that's the only way you can ever reorder the world in a way that serves more people. So I say yes to everything you've said about pain, heartbreak, loss, but also there's an ancient pattern in play here, mm. which is you have to get the full revealing. You got to get all the truth out. You got to get all the way down, way into the wound. Otherwise, you just keep putting little band-aids on it. Um, and that the and that built into that is this ancient pattern of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. And whenever you go through a disruption, a tragedy, a global pandemic, that puts you in disorientation. All the reference points. I used to drop my daughter off at school at a set time 
and now she's like in the backyard on her laptop. Where what's what is what is this? Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's disorienting. And there are these two paths in disorientation. The one is to dig in your heels and to fight it and long for an earlier perceived idyllic time when everything was better. Just make it all great again like we thought it was. The other path is to allow the pain and the disorientation to break you open so that you expand, so that you're open to new possibilities. And you allow the disorientation to be a great instigator of imagination. And you can see it. You know what I mean? You can see it everywhere. You can see these two responses. Absolutely. Um, you can see that. And, and this is true. What the, the, the political and the communal is just a larger version of the personal. So when you say, like, how practically do you get through this? You keep opening your eyes for what's the new thing that wants to be birthed out of this insanity. So the flip side of that is I can think of many people in my life and maybe even many people who are listening to this podcast who the idea of what you're describing to me sounds like release, right? You're letting go, you are accepting what is, you are being open to it as opposed to, like you said, you're, you're clinging so hard to this version of reality that you preferred, right? Rather than what you were actually living inside of. And I think there's so much fear for people who maybe haven't ever had to go through a significant yeah. crisis or life change or, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, if, you, if, if you've walked through those things and it's easier to say, no, I swear it's going to be okay. Like, it doesn't mean that it won't hurt you. It doesn't mean that it won't change you. But who you become in this process of release is something so much more beautiful than you were. I promise. But if you've never gone through that, yeah. what, what, what about those people who are <laughs> terrified? Uh, I would never make any promises. <laughs> I would say there is an ancient pattern that has thousands of years of wisdom undergirding it. But what exactly will happen? That's, I mean, the whole thing is a mystery. We don't, we don't know exactly where it's headed. All we know is spirit is always lurking in whatever the mess is. Mm. that's the invitation of a spiritual vision for life is whatever the churning dark waters are spirit is in them and so what and is your definition of spirit the animating and the endless animating energy that has been unfolding in the universe for 13.8 billion years making new forms vast design and boundless creativity and invites you to participate within it that's a short version right, right. <laughs> So you look at the universe, it starts from a single point for 13 billion years, it expands. It never stops making new. Within that newness, there's increasing complexity. Within that complexity, atoms bond with atoms to form molecules. For some reason, the universe at its core is, is energy in relationship. So when people say, I'm just all about relationships, <laughs> of course you are. This whole thing is a relationship. Yeah. Matter itself, the chair I'm sitting in, the headphones that people are listening to this on, matter, stuff, rocks, trees, animals, bone, tissue is all ultimately energy in relationship. So if you can come to see the universe not as a static, cold, dark place, but as a vibrant communal relationships of energy, you see how that just, yeah. just that slight shift and it never stops making more. Mm. And scientists are now saying that 
4% of the universe is known. We know what the matter that it's made of, but 96% of the universe is dark matter, dark energy, black holes. And scientists don't really know what that even is. So this dark matter, dark energy, which they don't even really know what it is, but agree that it's somehow vital to the nature of the universe, which to me, the poetry, are you with me on that? Yeah, no. And, and the poetry I'm, alone is stunning. I'm curious, yeah. like having been, having watched your career and at the risk <laughs> career, of sounding, yeah, well, please, I was going to say your career. evolution. No, but then I thought that that sounded douchey. Um, but to have watched like, how this this evolution because i do think that it is as you're talking about these things versus where you came from sort of your entry point into being an author and being a speaker how has this evolution come to pass like it meaning if we were listening to a sermon from you however many years ago were you this guy back then were you thinking these kind of thoughts and you were sort of diving into energy and the universe and all, have you always been curious about that? Or is that something I'm asking as a person who wants to continue to evolve and wants to someday be sitting on a podcast <laughs> being like 90 96% of it is dark. Cold. Like how, how, it, how did this happen? So, uh, yeah, I was curious. Yeah. The, the big, the big questions were always interesting. That was always to me where the juice was, the zhuzh, the magic. But honestly, Rachel, I just, followed it where it led. And Kristen and I just organized our life around, we saw the whole thing as an adventure. So let's follow it and see where it goes. So what happened is when I was 28, I was in a band, the band broke up. I went and got, I went to seminary, got a job at a church. And then I was like, there's got to be some way to do this better. So we started a church and it got really, really, really big. But what I noticed is I would be talking to people and they would say things like, I'm reading this book. It's blowing my mind. It's like seriously opening my heart. But if I tell people what I'm reading, I'll probably get fired from these are the pastors. I'll, I'll get fired from my job. And I knew I was probably 29. I can't live like that. Like there's this public show I'm putting on where I acknowledge all this stuff and say this. And then there's actually the stuff that's actually lighting me up. So I just knew I would be un, I was unable to live split. And Kristen and I had talks about this, like, well, what if it takes me into some place like that's not okay with the church? What if it takes, what if they're critics? What if, well, I'd have my soul. I'd have, we'd, we'd have our integrity. So I just kept following it. And what's interesting even about, because I come from the Jesus tradition, is for many people that if they grew up with any sort of religion, it was narrow and constricting. So you leave that. But now the divine ache and the great mysteries, they threw out a bunch of things that, that turns out some of that was actually really helpful. So you probably need some form of path or lineage, mm. some, some sort of structure that I always helps. Otherwise, the world tends to disintegrate a person. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure that you do. But I, it's always funny when I talk to friends or acquaintances or even people on my team who didn't grow up in the church. And so yeah. they're very confused at the idea that it would be so dogmatic or it would be sort of this or right. that, like it's right. us, it's them, it's not. And, you know, anyone who steps outside of what is accepted within that space, there's a lot of flack for that. And there's not 
ironically, a ton of grace for exploring <laughs> yeah. different things. And so yeah. I, I think it's worth saying if you're listening to this podcast and maybe you didn't grow up in the church and so you have no idea why this would even be a big deal, it is a right, massive right. deal for a pastor who pastored a church as large as the one you did and had the acclaim and had the attention and had this to have stepped in to a direction that to me is so much more authentic, so much more beautiful. Like some of the greatest sermons I feel like I've heard are from you and weren't about the Bible. Like I, it, it, it's, right. it's right, fascinating right, right. to have, I'm curious and I'm asking selfishly having, you know, started talked about my faith a lot and it's still very much a part of who I am. It's how I grew up. It is part of my story, but also have been truthful about things about me that don't align with what yeah. a lot of the original sort of readers right. and the conservatives in that space would prefer. And I'm with you that, you know, I get to keep my integrity and I get to stand up for what I believe in, but I'm curious what that felt like for you to go through. It felt like a long, slow evolution in a particular direction. So you didn't wander. You actually took it seriously. So what happens is the institution or the tribe tells you a narrative that you, Rachel, wandered off into the deep weeds. Yeah. You wandered off from the path. But you went out into the world and, and you've been Rachel. Mm-hmm. And it, you, you actually took it seriously. How do I give? How do I serve? How do I live a life of generosity and meaning? How, how do I give whatever I've been given, given? How do I pass it along? So what often happens is the tribe of origin wants to frame that as why did you depart? I didn't mm-hmm. depart. I took it seriously. I took it seriously. Uh, the tradition was to ask questions and to follow them and to listen to the deep inner knowing that every one of your listeners has. We're handed this script, often written by others, and yet there's something within you that knows. And I, I would imagine your listeners could think of multiple experiences where they were in conflict with what they knew, deep knowing, and what they were being told around them. And you listen to the expert, the authority figure, the relative, the mentor, and violated that inner knowing. And later you're like, God, I knew it, <laughs> right? And so there's been some deep knowing that you, Rachel, have possessed the whole time. And I bet right now when you're quiet and listen, you can find it. Oh, this is the next thing to make. This is the next thing to do. This is the next question. The great artist Robert Irwin talks about pursuing a line of inquiry, that your life, you're pursuing this line of inquiry. Can I make this? Can I launch this? Can I start this? Can I write this? Can I create this? Can we expand in that direction? And then you get answers. You know what I mean? Yeah. And most of your work, most of your work, it may be helping people, it may be motivating, whatever. It's also just curiosity. Could we do this? Could we go there? Could we make this? And then you get answers. And then the answers shape the next round of questions. Well, let's try this. Let's do a podcast. Let's talk <laughs> to this guy. Right? Absolutely. There's actually something, there's a purity and innocence that resides within each of us that actually does know. These relationships over here, they were a lovely chapter. They're over. This over here is where the life is. This is too much. That's not enough. Like the discernment is actually, in my experience, very, very dialed in in there. And then there's all the chatter that sort of interferes. So I just kept listening to that. 
make the next, let's make this, let's do that sermon, let's make this film, let's do that tour. Oh, look at this. Oh, look how much money we lost. Oh, look who didn't like it. Oh, okay. Well, let's keep going. <laughs> right, right. That's so real. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. About four years ago, I got to go see you and Liz Gilbert at Wanderlust in L.A., Yeah. yeah, And I know it was four years ago because I got to interview her on the podcast this summer. And when I, uh, I keep journals, I always have notebooks with me. And so I opened my notebook to that day's notes and it was four years and a day from when I got to talk to her and I had sat in the audience and watched you guys speak, which feels like (laughs) witchy and cool. And I still don't know what it means, but it means something. And you both were so awesome and so much fun. And there is this line, and I've heard you say it more than once, that I all I truly have thought about so many times over the years, where you talk about standing on holy ground. And, you know, the shoes were not removed because the ground was holy. It was because he realized the ground had always been holy. Do you know the story yeah. that I'm referencing? <laughs> yeah. uh, will you tell that? I mean, I know it's a terrible segue, but it is one of my favorites. And I think it, <laughs> I really do. I, I want you to know this, how often, you know, back when we get, when we got to have events and we would have, we have big conferences, 8,000 women, you know, come for a weekend and um, the amount of times that I'm standing backstage and I'm thinking the ground has always been holy yeah. Um, because of this story. So will you share that with the listeners? Oh, yeah. Is this about the what happened to me when I was 21 and then uh-huh. Moses? Yes. Talking about that? Yes. <laughs> well, I was, I was restless. I had all this adolescent angst and energy. I was never a very good student. I don't know about you. I, w- I just, somebody telling me what I had to do just made me mental. So there was always somebody better. There was always a better, stu- there's always somebody more popular who knew where the parties were. There was always a better student, always better athletes. It's like I lived in this world that was ranked and... There was always a ranking. And then I got into college and I got in this band. And for the first time I could write these songs and it was like, God, I could, there was something about taking what I was experiencing and giving words to it. And then the tribal, like you talk about 
your events, there was something as like a 19 year old about a, we would do these punk rock shows and there was something tribal and communal, like, God, I was made for, I don't even know what this is, but I was made to like gather people and say these things and people would sing the lyrics back. Then the band broke up as bands always do in college. And I was teaching water skiing in Wisconsin, like you do. And there was this chapel service for college students. And I have volunteered to give the sermon. What's a sermon? I mean, like, it's a sermon for me always raised the existential question, what's for lunch? It was just some guy in a sweater vest talking about stuff that whatever. But I somehow connected with being in that band. The, the, I was the lead singer with, oh, the sermon is an art form. It's like a long lost art form. Oh, I'm going to try that. So I volunteered and I got up to give this talk. I had no idea what I was doing. I had like, what? <laughs> it's such a bizarre... And I got up and I immediately took off my Birkenstocks because I had this awareness that I, that I was on holy ground and that my life was never going to be the same again. It was like, help people access the big mysteries of life. That's, that's what you're here to do through this art form. So there's this ancient story about Moses when he sees the burning bush. He doesn't take his sandals off because suddenly the ground is holy. He takes his sandals off because he realizes the ground has been holy the whole time and he's just now waking up to it. So this is the invitation for all of us. You're waking up to the sacred gift that is your life. Uh, And you get these moments where you're like, everything's okay. It's not isolated. Despair comes from isolation. This event exists disconnected in space and time from other events. It doesn't, it's, so this is why someone will say, I'm just a mom. I just sell insurance. I'm just a teacher, which means there's just this act I do and it has no larger contextual web of meaning. But the moments of joy, peace, serenity, the moments when we go, oh, this is what it's all about are always moments when whatever you're engaged in is you sense it taking place within some larger field of meaning, reverence. You get a lump in your throat, the hair on the back of your neck, right? You get like a, some sense that all of this is actually connected with all the rest of it. Yeah. And that's, that's the great task in the modern world is the ancients were much more tuned into this. They saw their lives taking place within like a larger drama, but for so many people, it's, it's a garage door that opens, the car goes in, the door closes. It's all separated units, which is why you gather the people that you do. We, we know that this system that is, telling us that if we just bought more stuff, it'd be okay. We know this system is aligned against the very things that make us feel most alive. Mm. Yeah. So I've heard it three times now and it's still just (laughs) as good. Well, well, that's very kind of you, but it still moves me. And that's actually, that's the ancient art is to becoming to see all of your life as sacred. Do you, um, you said that it just made me think of um, spiritual practices and the idea yeah. of if, you're, if your life is sacred and you're able to make any moment, any part of it, a, yeah. a spiritual and sacred practice in your life. Is that something that I feel like I think I know you, even though I've never met you before. So I feel <laughs> like you would be the kind of person that would do that. Is that do you approach life in that way? <laughs> Yeah, but it's also at the heart of that is going to be honesty. So even this past six months, there are days that are just like this day. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're like, I'm done. 
So Fine. honesty. So doubt, rage, bitterness, despair, hopelessness. Some days a feeling of lostness. Um, of course, you're a human being. Anger and you don't even know towards what. Yes. So, so the first thing is to learn to be the observer of the experience you're having. For many people that, uh, let's think, okay, like in these days we're living in, overwhelmed or anxiety becomes I'm anxious. Right. And the subtle shift to, oh, look, anxiety. So just learning to observe. Like you mentioned, you carry a notebook around and just even the basics of writing out, okay, today I'm angry with this person, this person. Today I feel like just getting it all out is actually an act of observing it. And what that does is more and more grounds you in the you that can observe you having the experience. Mm. For many people, the only you is the you that's overwhelmed by whatever it is. So the practice is getting better and better at observing it. Because then the question becomes, who's observing it? There's some you, there is some infinite, indestructible Rachel who is observing Rachel having these experiences. And the more time you are grounded in that infinite, indestructible you, then that's like a, that's like a center. Oh, wow, I am like, I am jumpy today. Man, it takes nothing for me to fly. Okay, I wonder what that is. Interesting. Forgive me if I'm about to ask a question. You're like, that's a huge part of what I've talked about and I didn't know it. But have you done or do you dig into at all like childhood and yourself at different ages? And that's something that I've unpacked quite a lot inside of the last six months. And as you're talking about the sort of indestructible you, I do think of, maybe I sound crazy right now. I think of like, which version of me, which version of me just reacted to that? Which version of me showed, like, which, which like, oh, that is 13 year old me who's insecure about this thing, who sort of just reacted in that way. But 37 year old me can sort of watch that happen, watch that go down and kind of understand what's going on there. Absolutely. Because we didn't, it's not, it's random and it's not random how we got here. There are things, there are experiences we had and stories that we had to tell to make sense of things that happened back there. And the story works until it doesn't. So yeah, for many people going back and mining their past, it's like, I'm moving forward, I'm not nostalgic. No, 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 this is like basic human wisdom. I, I came from these people, I, I, I stumbled into a stage in the second act, there's already a bunch of stuff that happened. Like there were already dramas. Right. Your, your parents and their dramas and their parents' parents, like you stumbled into a stage. A, there's a plot. It's already unfolding. So let's start there. A child is not a blank slate. You entered into a drama with loss and hope and lust and longing and like all of it. And of course, over the course of your life, you're going to have moments of insight about how those events and the events when you were younger shaped you. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I just normalized all this. And that story worked for a while. I was talking uh, last year, I was working with a guy who he grew up in this setting that was, it's an abusive nightmare, but he was very smart. And he realized I'm smart. That's going to get me out of here. I'm special. And his intellect literally got him out of that world. And he put as much distance as he could from it and became a professor. But what's fascinating is the story I'm special got him out of that but now had him alienated from everybody around him. 
And so I had this moment. It was so beautiful when I got to say to him, hey, um, you're not special. <laughs> you're special and you're not special. Some days you need one, some days you need another. But can you see how the I'm special story, it's got you're miserable. And then we, it was in a, like a group setting. And I said, how many of you completely relate to everything he said? And like 90% of the hands went up. And I was like, look at you. Look at all those hands. Look how not special you are. And it's like this, he's like bawling and everybody's laughing. And it's such a beautiful cathartic moment when the story worked and then it didn't. Mm. And so most of us are telling all these different stories. And the reason why we're feeling the ache, the restlessness, the sense of despair is some story in there. We got to go back there and just talk about it. Pull it apart. The 13-year-old Rachel, what was the story that she told about in relation to that event? Maybe it worked for a while. Maybe it didn't. Now, what's the story going forward? Yeah. And for many people, just taking the electricity out of it. This is just the work we do. It's how you open up. It's how you become vital. It's how you become healthy. It's how you find your path. It's not weird or strange or crazy. It's just the work we do. <laughs> I feel like I have selfishly asked you all the sort of questions I'd want to know if I got to have coffee with you. But okay, so why are they selfish? Why are they selfish? They'll see, notice that story. See how it works? Why are they selfish? Because I tend to think of what will be most helpful to my audience okay, when I'm doing this. I'm okay, I'm speaking on behalf of your audience. Did your audience ever listen to you for any other reason than you were fully engaged and vital and alive? Oh, that's real. Okay. No, do you see what I'm saying? The way that you serve your people is you follow it where it's taking you. How are we doing? You see how that works? That's awesome. <laughs> Anyway, what I think you had a question No, I was going to ask, I was trying to do a very awkward transition to ask about the new book because it is really exciting and I do want them to hear about uh, what you're working on right now. Yeah, well, the new book is called Everything is Spiritual. And in some ways, it's part memoir. It's part confession. It's part history of the universe. Uh, and the book, in many ways, is a feeling. It's basically all the stories of everything that went wrong because we end up with these pieces that we don't know what to do with from our past. All these bits and pieces were like dragging down the road. And it's all part of it. It's all, it's all part of it. It's all part of how you became who you became. So yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in helping people own every square inch of their story. Yeah, your history, all the awkward, embarrassing moments that like, please don't bring that up. And you wince and you think, oh God, that picture, look at the pants I'm wearing, right? All that stuff. And yet, what did you expect? You've never been you. This is your first shot at being you. So through all of it, there's been something I call spirit. It's been called spirit for thousands of years. This animating energy in all the messes, inviting you to make something new out of all of it. And uh, that, that leads you into the wonder and awe of your own existence. And that, to me, is the only game worth playing. <laughs> so, so light reading is what you're saying. <laughs> and actually, actually, a number of people told me they read the book in one sitting. Oh, that's so, yes. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, light, actually very easy to read. Mm. Mm -hmm. And was that intentional? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. There's no big words in the book. I, uh, part of the book is me sinking from head into heart because the only way forward is that we open our hearts to each other. We did cynicism, like we did air quotes. We did all the irony. People grew their funny mustaches, like we did all that. Everybody's standing at a distance showing that they get it. That's lame, that's derivative. I've seen that. Uh, we, did, we did cynicism. Um, 
Everybody got their hearts broken, so they stand at a distance. Cynicism presents itself as wisdom, but it generally comes from a wound. So it's the friend who's like, oh, that, come on, they're, they're just copying that. That's just probably the person extended themselves at some point, and, it, and they got hurt. And so now they stand at a distance and point out what's wrong and lame with everything. Right. And they present it like it's world-weary wisdom, but it's probably just some wound. So the way forward is, and then you think about polarization, specifically political polarization. We're so polarized more than ever. Well, polarization is when you can no longer see yourself in someone else. Mm. You, you can't imagine why they would say or do that. But the invitation is to look far enough inside of you that you see everybody, or you look far enough inside of everybody else that you can find yourself. So that's why I was just laughing with you about the word selfish is you follow what Rachel is interested in. You double down on that. That's where you find all your listeners. Mm. That's the only way it works. You double down on the particulars of your Rachelness and everybody else finds themselves in that. That's really interesting to me because I do think that I live so much of my life and work is about trying to meet her where she's at. Um, So I do tend to think of needing to sort of go to where she is as opposed to like bringing her to where I am, which is a interesting thing for me to unpack in my journal later after this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Because the gift you give is the open hearted living and healing and exploring of your life. That's all you got. This is why when somebody tells me they were, I just really want to help all those people. I'm always like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because generally the, there's something the person is trying to work out within themselves. Mm. You, you work that out within yourself. I do these sessions where people who are working on things come to me when they're stuck. So I do six people uh, a day who, this is what I'm working on, this is how I'm stuck. So it's like artists, activists, entrepreneurs, heart surgeons, therapists. You would, the, it's, the demographic makes zero sense. You'd be like, what the, who are these? Because it's just, and I never know, I don't know anything about them so that when I meet them, it's full presence. It's on Zoom. Well, it used to be in person, now it's on Zoom. But I don't, I don't want to know anything, so I'm 100% present with the person. Hi, what's your name? Where are you? South Africa? Wonderful. What, okay, what are you working on? How are you stuck? And what you would find fascinating is the way that 90% of people are stuck is they're trying to make or do this thing to help everybody else but they don't realize that, that the act of whatever they're working on is them figuring out something about their own path. So, it, so they're writing this novel to make sense of their 20s. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They're, they're actually working something out about their own life. And the reason they're stuck is they've leapt over that to how do I get help these people? And so it all, all, literally I just hold up mirrors all day long. What got you into this? What, and generally, most people got into what they're doing because of something that happened. Oh, yeah, it's so fascinating. That's why I always go, hold on, hold on. You're working something out. This is what's fascinating and helpful. Do you see how much right now, see how much less energy it takes to you to go to her or her to come to you? You see how much less energy it is when it's just, I'm working this through and giving expression to it. Post. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. 
And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm curious then in your, <laughs> like in your work then, and in you have experienced success in certain areas and not you know, like you've experienced success. And then as you continue to evolve, if you're sort of, chasing what's interesting, compelling, you're kind of following your intuition about what you want to explore and understand. How does that, that play into your, like the business side of right. what you're doing? Right. Which I feel like asking a philosopher that is just right. dumb. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a wonderful question because trust that if I'm finding myself there, there will be other people who find themselves there. Trust over a long period of time. Just trust that that will sort itself out. I like a deep, intuitive knowing and an experience that when I follow this, because it's like, why not just ask everybody what they want you to talk about and then talk about those things? <laughs> right, um, right. Because when I follow the next thing I'm here to do, inevitably I'll cover those in some shape or form. Yeah, I just I'm I find myself in the midst of I released a new book last week and it is not the tone mm -hmm. that I think my audience would prefer. Yeah. So I tend to write very irreverent. You know, I'm trying to offer some lessons that I've learned in my life, but I'm usually doing it through intentionally self-deprecating humor. 
And I released a book that is really hard and is talking about the hardest seasons I've ever lived through. And it's been really interesting for me to have put something out into the world that I really believe in and feel like was on my heart to produce. But it also is a very different experience than you know, if you would just sort of keep writing that thing that the publisher would prefer that you write. And die in the process. You know, or that the... O- and something with yes. the, and you would die in the process. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. So how, so how, um, so you said you're 37. Mm-hmm. This is what number book? The book that just came out was nine. This is your ninth book. Good God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, followers, fans, and admirers are inherently conservative because they came to you because of books one through nine, which you already know. So nothing but love and gratitude, but they are inherently, the gravitational pull will be keep doing what drew me to you. So an artist inevitably comes to this moment of, I either follow the instinct that got me into this in the first place, which may or may not look like previous iterations, or I keep making the thing that I made before and something within me dies. Right. And you can, I'm, I'm sure you, I mean, you can just see, just look around you. Who, who, who took one route and who took the other? Right. Yeah. And what happened to me is I just kept following it. And sometimes it was bang, wow, the response. And other times it wasn't the book that sold the most was not on any sort of New York Times list. The book that sold the least was like the whole thing just got jacked up for me at some point. Like none of that stuff actually can be predictable or none of that stuff. It just, all that just became boring. I was just going to ask then, do you have, do you create boundaries around yourself or within the relationships that you have with like your publisher, Mm -hmm. your agent with different people that you have sort of stuck a flag in the ground and said, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not, you know, how, do, how do you, I feel like a child, like, how no, no, no. Right. So, so then you can see okay. the thing that you want to do. You start there. You can see then how, who you align with. So, so then you bring them this, that helps you discern who to align with. Cause right. if you're sitting, I remember sitting with a publisher I, my first three books, I presented the fourth book and I got done with this, like I'm in the corner office, like executive room, you know, those rooms. And I do like a yeah. full Rob Bell in the room pictures. Like I just go for it. You know what I mean? Like I give them the, I turn all the knobs to 11 and I finish. That's the book. That's what it's about. Here's the title. Here's pictures from the book. And I lay it out and it's quiet. And the publisher says, how will this help your critics? How will this answer your, or something? And it was like this, I have thought this funny, I haven't thought about this moment since then. Like, oh, this isn't, this isn't, we're not aligned. Mm. So like for you, you're in interesting territory because you could easily just keep cranking the stuff out. Stay on brand. Totally. My first publisher wanted to have a meeting about my brand and I refused to go to it. So I was like, what the, what, my brand? What are you talking about? I'm like a guy who makes stuff. I don't know what else. Right. Well, we want people to know what to expect. We want to have a sense of, that, that just sounds like death. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so none of that, none of that to me is even remotely interesting. 
It's it's so boring. It just makes me insane. I don't even, I literally had an editor one time email me and say, you never ask how your books are doing. Yeah. I hate, I hate knowing. I hate knowing. Right. In fact, I, I know that this sounds, this sounds so crazy to say, and I don't, this is not like the douchey, like, oh, it's hard, you know, to experience crazy success. But the, one of the worst feelings for me was when in at the end of 2018 when my book the book that came out that year started to explode and it was so and the publisher just everyone was like it you know it was like daily like here's what the numbers are and it's on this this spot on the list and I it felt I just dreaded dreaded every part of it because I thought and this is probably something to work through with a therapist but I thought this too shall pass Yes. There will be a day where this is not on the list anymore and it doesn't sell this many books. And these people aren't like prepared for that day. And so then when it happens, there's just such massive disappointment as if like our world was always going to be this thing that was that successful. I would just rather not know. I'd rather always (laughs) not know. Yeah. See you. I just wish that it's like you could put stuff out. And you just put stuff out like you had, you had the, the, you wanted to create something, you created it, you put it out in the world. Did people love it? I don't know. Did they hate it? I have no idea. That's yes. not why I created it. Right, right. I've tried that, but then you end up divorced from this thing you created. So mm-hmm. you can see how the one is, That's real. the one is sucked into it and breathing its fumes. The other is in reaction to that. So that's why when you think about like alignment, so think about it this way publishing think about it like a playing field do i want to write a book yeah i think i'd write another book okay how to and then just acknowledge that when you enter into a playing field don't complain about how that playing field works i entered into this playing field right so like i'm new with this publisher for this book it's been a wonderful experience i turned in the book it has no chapters and my editor got that so once again like the book just starts and then just goes straight and like my editor somehow understood, we never even talked about it till the book was done. And I was like, you never mentioned the chapters thing, which made like, okay, this is the right editor. They've been lovely. And I'm doing this interview with you and I'll sit in my front yard for the rest of the day doing these interviews. So I've decided to write a book. I'm going to do it with a publisher. You see what I'm saying? Like, then you just hold it yeah. with a certain, and I want to honor their efforts. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Great. Great. We're going to do this. Great. Sure. I used to fight it. The most miserable I've ever been in the creative process was promoting a book called Love Wins because it was like a frenzy. It was like black SUVs behind the building, get in, go to the next thing, go to the next thing. You know that New York yeah. thing? Yes. Which it was not a rhythm of life. It was not, um, it was capitalizing on a frenzy. So I did like a round of that. I was like, okay, now I get how that works. So it's like you just decide if I'm going to do this, how would I do this in a way that honors the people I'm partnering with and preserves my sanity and then maybe you'd enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're asking, these are, you are, you are exact asking exactly the right questions because your next book might be darker. And and if it is, then it is, that's your only answer. And if it sells less copies, okay. Right. Yeah. See the, you can see what, yeah. See your, your way. It's, that's wonderful to hear. So many people get, they breathe those fumes and now they're like, right? They get sucked into it 
and lose all sense of how the thing actually has worked from the beginning. Right. Well, I had this, I have had the absolute blessing of having five books in obscurity that nobody cared about and nobody read. And I was so freaking happy. It, I, it was just my little hobby and I just wrote books and I had my job and I loved it. And then never in my wildest dreams, this just, this random book just hit it. Something about it just worked and it exploded. And then I had the divine, and I do think divine grace of before that book came out, I had already written the next one Mm. because I just, I, you know, a lot of times when I'm at the tail end of of a book, I'm like, Oh, I know what I want to write next. And so I just started writing and thank God that it was done because if I had to try and write on the back end of that comment, I would have never, I wouldn't have created anything again. Absolutely. I have a friend who had a massive hit in TV, a friend who had a massive hit as a, with his band, and a friend as an author who had a massive, massive hit. And what's interesting to me being their friend is each of them had to make peace with their hit. They literally had everywhere they go for the rest of their life, it's the first thing that's mentioned when they're introduced. Um, people are, they've made a mountain of things since then, but every one of them, if they're in public and get stopped, it's probably about that thing from 13, 12, 10, 20 years ago. And right. just watching them up close and being like, the thing that ev- which you've lived through, the thing that everybody is driving themselves mental to try to get, if you actually got that, you'll spend, you'll have to do such a monumental act of peacemaking with it because people will want to talk about that. Even if you've done a decade of work that you think is better than that. Right. So you've had to like go through this process of making peace with your hits. (laughs) Yeah. Now you're really free. Now you really can make some interesting (laughs) stuff, right? Right. Who knows what's coming next? Sci-fi, world building, anything's possible. There's a sci-fi novel. with <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> You'll come up with something. Could be. You'll come up with something. I want to be, I, I'm so excited to hang out with you. And I, because the power's out here, I have no idea if we've been talking for 20 minutes or two hours. I have no idea. And I want to be conscious keep, of your just time. Just keep going. It's too much fun. I have no okay, idea. great. Okay, great. Good. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> I was, I dare ask, like, are you one of those people that your favorite work is whatever you're working on or is whatever is most recent <laughs> is like, how do you approach that as you've written this new book in a style that doesn't have chapters is sort of approaching things in a different way? How do you think through that creative process for that yourself? That was always my answer. My favorite thing was the thing I was working on. Yeah. This one I have a relationship with. It's different than the other things. But yeah, I st- yeah, there's always a couple things. You know, the fantasy of the thing in your head that's before you actually incarnate it and bring it into space and time and actually type when it's still what it could be and not what it's going to be. That's just like a that drug, that high right. is just the best. Yeah, so there, um, I've written a couple plays and now the third play is coming together and just the names of the characters and what happens... I'm just in the, God, it's so fun. <laughs> just carrying it around. Like the crush stage. Oh, yeah. complete crush stage. I just, and then I, there is another book and I am typing and yeah, I find it all lovely. You would love this. My son 
our older son just graduated from college. And so he and I are starting doing some things together. So I've literally been, we have a couple of ideas that we're going to launch like in a couple of months. So I've literally been having like, he and I have been hanging out. I mean, can you imagine just unbelievable, unbelievable. Another gift, another gift of 2020. So this is a, a little bit of a pivot, but I'm really curious to hear your opinion on it. Social media. How do you approach it? How does it, because I, I don't think that I'm making this up. Don't you have some pretty strict rules about when you will even look at a computer, when you will respond to emails? Like, don't you, aren't you methodical about how you approach your routine in a day to make sure that sort of media isn't controlling you kind of the other way around? Or am I making that up? Yeah, I turn off my computer on Saturday, Friday afternoon, and I don't look at anything on Saturday, sometimes Sunday as well. So there's a day, there's a, day a week when there's no email. And um, yeah, I don't, uh, social, I, missed, I must have missed the social media thing. The, uh, I put things on Instagram about like tours and what I'm doing because that seems like just smart to let people know. But beyond that, I don't, I don't follow anybody. I don't look at Twitter. I, I haven't been on Facebook. I don't know if I've ever been on Facebook. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't scroll through Instagram. Maybe, maybe once a month I'm, because a friend said something, so I look to see what they were talking about. Yeah, no, otherwise it has nothing. I don't find it helpful or interesting or compelling at all, period. I, <laughs> I'm like, it's... Yeah. I mean, what you're saying is the most attractive idea that I can even imagine. And I don't know how, okay, so you're not on it right now, but I think that you are, can feel enough of what's going on in the world to understand that it is a dumpster fire. Yes. It is just absolute, oh man, it's so bad. But there is this concern, and maybe it's not my thing to be concerned about, of there's so much negativity on social media that then I feel like I need to show up and put positivity into that space, which is maybe sounds ridiculous, but I will literally get on and just sort of start sharing a bunch of things that are like a puppy hugging a cat or, you know, look at this baby being born, just anything because I'm trying to counteract. There's so much negativity, but then I feel like I'm sort of being pulled into that vortex. And I'm just like, what would it even be like to just not I probably sound like an idiot to you right now, no, you but I know all. that the listeners are also just no, like, wow, what would it be like to go through life and not, not consume it? First off, there's an interesting thing happening. What the internet does in terms of how a person is incarnated in the world, because when you have those ideas, like for a book, then I assume you sit down and type them. So what happens is you have to go from, everything the book could be to what it's actually going to be. And that always involves a death. It always involves a death of all of the things it could be, which is why you meet that singer songwriter. Like, let me hear some of your music. Oh no, I'm in the studio right now. Have you recorded anything in the past? Yeah. Yeah. But you gotta, but I'm, I'm recording some stuff right now because when they actually made those songs and recorded them and then heard them back, they weren't what they heard in their head. So Actually making and doing things in the world requires an act of death to all of the potentials that it could have been and an accepting of what it actually is. Now, if you 
if you don't actually type out the words and make it, then what you exist in is a state of extended fantasy. You see how that works? If I'm not willing yeah. to go through the death of bringing it into flesh and blood, then I just have what it could be, and that's actually fantasy. So what the internet does is it allows millions and millions of people to stay stuck in fantasy about how they would run the government, how they would play if they were in that game, what they would do. And it, the internet is fundamentally unable to call the person to actually go through the painful death of all of those fantasies and get skin in the game. So you have millions of people with these divine, holy, sacred, creative energies. They're here to participate in a new ordering of creation. And yet they're on their phone ripping this person to shreds, which is easy because it requires no death and incarnation. And it's holy everywhere. So think about the energy spent on Facebook sending links around about politics. Imagine if that person took a tenth of that energy and went down to the city hall and helped organize traffic patterns and fix potholes or the public school or the board of water and light or getting more people registered to vote. Like, so that's why for me, this is um, much, I mean, there's obviously wonderful things about us. Let me just put that, make its own category of all the lovely writing. And I check a couple of sites each day. I love architectural digest. I love the ring. Like there's a couple of sites that the writing often is fantastic. But what you're speaking about is this giant mass of people stuck in fantasy. And then what happens is these energies, when they're not expressed in the service of others, get all bottled up. And that's where all the hate comes from. It's all a giant projection. Mm -hmm. It's a giant projection of the person's own sense of unfulfilled expression of their divine energies. No wonder it feels stunted. No wonder there's so much pent up stuff. That's one thought. (laughs) You've literally just blown my mind. Yeah, it's... It's so good. It's a crisis of massive cultural proportion. It is. It absolutely is. So... And I feel this, there's a, I feel this like tension in myself of so much of my business has been built inside of it's like same as you this is how we know let people know oh, hey this podcast is coming up or the book came out or whatever but then i also think it is it is so negative for so many people it gives so many people anxiety makes them feel worse about themselves yes. like yes. there's so many negative pieces of this that then part of me feels like to even show up in that space at all right. is that right because inevitably it becomes advertising because that's the economic model But what's interesting is the economic model is advertising. But what's interesting is people end up advertising for the goodness of their lives. You know that they posted that picture in the best possible moment, but nobody's that happy all the time. So it's a selected, curated portrayal. It's almost like the person is advertising for their life. And so that is a point at which the market ideology has just seeped into everything. So, So real. So like... There's a free broadcast platform where I can let people know about the work I'm doing and how they can engage, how they can receive it. Sure, of course I'll do that. But am I going to like get in the comments with some person like I'm an adult? Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, I, and I, honestly, I that feels to... so condescending, but there is an element at which it turns adults into kids. A hundred percent. So I, you, you're saying that, and it reminded me, I was talking to my dad yesterday. He will never listen to this podcast. So I'm going to tell the story, but I was talking to my dad yesterday <laughs> who is, you know, older and just very, he's my dad. And, um, I am going through a divorce right now. Mm. And he had asked me, and it's from a place of concern, but he asked me, hey, have you posted a picture of you with the kids on social media recently? Because I want to make sure that people know that you're a really good mom. And I want to make sure that people know that you're still, you know, parenting. And I want to make, like, he was so worried. And that was the solution in his mind was that my soon-to-be ex-husband posts a lot of pictures like that, and I don't. Frankly, because when I'm with my kids, I just want to be with my kids. I don't want to take pictures and post it. But even you saying that makes me realize that is the worry that he has, is make sure that people know that you're good, and make sure that people know that you're a mom, and make sure that people know that like you have them an equal amount of time. And you like saying that sort of is such a sucker punch of how twisted this is. And the implication that, that all of these people that you've never met need to know these things. Right. As opposed to right. three friends that are actually the people that you're walking through life with. Right. So the idea that you would, I assume there's hundreds of thousands, millions of people, ha- like your relationship, the idea that you have a relationship with them in which they need to know things about your, um, it, it skews, it skews things in such an odd way yeah that it can't be done like think about even you expressing that the the psychic dissonance you're feeling of like there's a global broadcast platform that i need to be post so people like of my kids right Right. even the way you tilt your head you're like even the expression on your face just now was like yeah wait a second what world are we in where this is how we do these things and i um i'm 50 so I missed, I'm an, I'm an immigrant to this land of, I missed it and I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I, don't, I want to. I don't intuitively think that way. I don't instinctively go, I need people to know. I don't. I'm doing this work. The work is the point. Yeah. Imagine the everything. The work is the point is a really interesting way to think about it. Okay. So, here, so like here's an example. It, Imagine you were off social media or whatever, and whatever that means, maybe just anything other than like reporting. I, th- I think of it as reporting. Here's what's happening. Imagine other than reporting, you were all, gave zero at creative energy to it. And all of that energy was spent in silence and wideness and curiosity, allowing the next thing you're going to do to take shape. Like instead of dissipated little social media bursts, Imagine if you gave all of that energy to actually the next thing you're going to do. Well, I mean, I assume the next thing you're going to do instantly got, got layers and subtleties and nuance and depth and profundity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's real. It's just one way to think about it. Man. It's like therapy. It's church. <laughs> it's, all, it's all of the things. This is all and the stuff out. that's like, I, this is all the stuff that, people like you and me meet up and this is what we talk about. Right. How do you, how? That's how I dreamed it. I mean, I thought that there would be (laughs) wine. Liz would be with us. We're at a, we're at a dinner. I don't know. Someday. 
someday yes. when we're back together. Someday in the new world. Remember places? Humans. Yes. <laughs> we were going yeah, places, guys. There's a, for me, always, there was the, what the person was making was interesting, but the how was always just as interesting. Like I get with somebody, I mean, I'd ask people questions. What kind of car do you drive? What do you, just because how a person arranges their life so that they can over a long period of time do good work in the world. These details, the architecture of a person's life has always, always been for me riveting. For my own working it out and how other people, how do you do work in the world that you have more five years from now and more passion for? Okay, that to make it sustainable then, you're going to have to be able to walk away from it on a regular basis because otherwise you just run ragged. So there's going to have to be some rhythm of life. Then there's going to be, have to be a pattern of pursuing it, even though it isn't what you made before. It might not be a hit, and yet it's the thing that you know you need to make next. Nine people liked it. But right. good God, those nine people who liked it. I'm telling you that my first play, we did a workshop reading at a theater, a 99-seat theater in my neighborhood here. We did a workshop reading. I think the actors were paid $12 an hour. We rehearsed for a couple of days and then three nights where the actors are at stool, at stands, just reading. I'm telling you, Rachel, I sat in the audience of people. And I, I mean, I sold like maybe, I'm not, it wasn't even full. Nine season wasn't even full. Listening to actors reading my play and acting it out, a transcendent experience that it was like an out-of-body experience. Oh. Yeah. So what's that? Where's that? It cost me money. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I know. 50, 50 people in this theater. It's half full and they're laughing and I'm the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. I literally, the next, the second play was, okay, I got to write a play that requires no staging so that I can just hire the actors and just do the full play as opposed to a workshop. You see what I'm saying about the iterations? Yes. Like there's nothing I'd rather do. And now the third play requires a set of stairs is all I need for production so I can do the whole thing myself. Yeah, because the, why? I, why? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, it's I do. Where the life is. <laughs> we did that other stuff. Good Lord, green room, whatever. <laughs> the, honestly, this has been, this has been such a gift for me. So Thank you. I don't know how good of a job we did promoting your new book, but this has been such a gift Perfect. in my life. I literally am going to go back and listen to it again because I wish that I could have been taking notes as you were speaking would have been much cooler because I feel like there's so much that I want to unpack <laughs> myself. But honestly, I, I don't even have words. I, it felt, it feels to me like very divine to get to sit with you and to like just get some wisdom from a place that's different than a lot of the things I usually hear. So <laughs> I am so grateful for your time. I do want to say this for listeners. If you are not familiar with Rob Bell, I'm so sorry for you because there's so many good books that you can read that you can hear on audio. Do you narrate your own books, Rob? Of course. Of course. Is some other um, you person going to read them? What? It, it could. It happens all the time. Do you read your um, books? Yes, absolutely. Of course, right? Yes, of course. of course. And then is it, am I making this up? Is it the Robcast? Yes. Okay, I'm going to make that up. And does that happen every Sunday? 
They no. usually come out. They usually come out on Mondays. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. You can listen to the podcast. Where else can they hang out with you? Can they go find out more information? Can they go get yourself? Like, where do they go to discover that? Uh, we just released a film called An Introduction to Joy. That's based on last year's tour. That's on YouTube. And uh, the new book is called Everything is Spiritual. That just came out. The Robcast is, I don't know how many episodes, but there's always that going on. Then there's long form audio. I did a thing on being a parent called Launching Rockets. Um, there's all that stuff at my site. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. There's a novel called Millones Cajones about a B-grade motivational speaker who has a meltdown. Oh, yeah, there's tons of stuff. <laughs> Man, that makes me happy. When you see uh, that my next book is sci-fi, you're going to be like, oh, I remember I, that conversation. <laughs> yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, guys, you heard it here. You can find Rob. Literally Google his name. There's all sorts of things that you can consume. Dude, thank you for the time. (laughs) My pleasure. It was great to meet you. You too. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk again. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted by me, Rachel Hollis. Our show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with additional production support by Sterling Coates. Our executive producer is Cameron Berkman. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is a 3% chance production.